Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 390. Today is November 21st, 2022. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, hello. Welcome back. Once again, I apologize for not getting out as much content as everyone would like to hear. There's some really interesting things going on with the market. I want to discuss that fairly quickly in this episode. Before that, let me just run down a couple laundry list items. I've been receiving inquiries about the April 1st Personal Economic Unconference to be held in Las Vegas. And so far, no other details than yes, it will occur. It'll be on the weekend of April Fool's Day, which I think is extremely appropriate to be meeting in Las Vegas. We're going to celebrate the free market. And along with that celebration comes with the realization that the future can't be predicted and the market spontaneously reacts to fill the void. That's what Adam Smith talked about with the invisible hand. So we'll be honoring and celebrating that free market economy. And in honor of that concept, there's very little that's going to be planned. That's why it is an unconference. No registration fees, no keynote speakers, no PowerPoint presentations. In fact, I have no idea what's going to occur other than I will be there And for anybody else that shows up, well, it will be just like the uncertainties of the market. We'll just have to see what happens. Okay, and speaking of travels, I am just back from another road trip. I did put a video up from that road trip. It's over at my YouTube channel. It's likely the last road trip video of the year. Kind of sums things up. I'm not going to put a link in today's show notes. If you want to watch the video, you're going to have to find it yourself. Now, as I mentioned in the past, while I'm not here, the best place to keep up with what I'm doing, particularly with what I'm doing with my portfolio, is to read my blog post that's available at investablewealth.com. It's not behind any kind of a paid firewall. All the additions are archived back to, I don't know, sometime in 2013. If you want to be notified whenever I put up a new blog post, you can subscribe on the website. It's free. You won't be spammed. If you have signed up and you're not receiving those emails, then check your spam folder. You likely will have to whitelist anything that comes out of investablewealth.com. And also for those of you that have recently subscribed, it is a dual opt-in. So make sure that you've received an email where you click the link to opt-in. Otherwise, you won't receive the blog post notices. Now, if you are following along with me at that blog post, you know that last week I sold the remainder of my small and mid-cap stock indexes. The market's been on a tear the last four weeks or so. I've been gradually moving out of this market, and I especially didn't like what happened last, I think it was last Tuesday. That's what I want to talk about in this episode. But I want to preface this by saying that I am not negative on the overall market. I know there's a lot of gloom and doom profits out there, that continue to perpetrate the myth that the economic collapse is just right around the corner. Listen, I don't buy that for a minute. I've been investing for almost 38 years now, and it's been my experience that one of the best times to make money is in the periods like we're in now. And that's because many things are on sale. There are a lot of good quality stocks that in the future, in a year, two years, three years, I don't know, five or ten years, They'll be worth a lot more than they're worth today. The reason I sold more of my stocks last week, and I'm pretty much only holding oil stocks and a few other dogs and cats, the reason I'm doing that isn't that I think there's an imminent financial collapse coming. 
It's just that I do think that we are headed for more turbulence in the market, and I want to have the cash on hand so that I can redeploy that once those opportunities come along. Now, when will those opportunities come along? I don't know exactly. For me right now, my crystal ball is telling me sometime, probably late in the first quarter, but I don't know. That's why I want to remain nimble. That's why I'm not going in to even short-dated bonds or treasury funds because I don't want my money tied up for 3 or 6 or 12 or 18 months so that I can pick up a few measly percent of interest, which in real terms is still negative because the inflation rate is far outweighing anything that bonds are paying. And I want to remain nimble because I don't know when that next shoe for the economy will drop. I also might want to take some short positions or perhaps even buy some cash secure puts in anticipation of prices dropping further. So in times like these, I do believe that cash is king, and I don't mean that that's cash buried in your backyard or underneath your mattress. That's cash that's readily available in something like a cash-equivalent money market fund, or if you're locked up in one of those pitiful employee 401ks, the only cash option you may have is something called a stable value fund. You don't know when opportunity is going to knock, and that's why you want to keep your powder dry and have that cash available so that you can take advantage of any buying opportunities that may come up over the next weeks or months. Now, as far as what happened last week that concerned me, and this is just a reoccurring concern because I've been watching the market put in lower highs at the same time that the VIX is putting in higher lows. Because from an overall magnitude standpoint, we're not seeing the VIX jump up and panic and hit 40 or 50 or 60 like it has in the past when we've seen total investor fear and capitulation. What we're seeing is maybe the VIX gets up to around 30 and then it drops back down into the high teens. Then it'll go up, up, you know, in the high 20s, maybe 30, and then back down into the high teens. Well, what we've seen with the VIX this year is earlier in the year, especially when we had all the major concerns with the, with the Ukraine invasion, we saw the VIX getting up there pretty high. I don't think it did get much above 30, though. I don't have my notes in front of me. I'm just talking off the top of my head. But roughly, it got up around in the 30s, maybe a little higher, and it's never gotten back up that high again, even when we saw these lower lows that were put in in September and October. So we're not seeing a capitulation, massive fear sell-off. But what is rising is that lower level, kind of the floor on the VIX, is going up. And in this last round of euphoria that we've seen over the last, you know, previous four weeks or so, the VIX was still comparatively high, meaning that it stayed up around, you know, 20 or 22, not dipping down into the upper teens. So we're seeing the lower threshold on the VIX go up. At the same time, the market continues to put in lower highs. Now, again, we did see a very nice rally over the previous four or five weeks, but it nowhere came into comparison to what we saw in August. In fact, I think you could argue that throughout this year, the market has been forming multiple head and shoulder type patterns, and each of those has gone lower and lower. Now, the major event that kicked in last week, and I believe it was on Tuesday, was that the S&P 500 failed at its 200-day moving average. 
So we'll talk about that in a minute, but I also want to point out that overall, the S&P 500 has held in at the upper end of that resistance level that we've been talking about for, I don't know, eight months. And that's that 3950 level. It's pretty much gotten up to there and then hovers right around the level. It, you know, got up to around 4,000. We talked about that in, you know, many previous episodes about that being a real psychological high. And if it could break out above that, I think we could have seen a very significant Santa Claus rally this year. When I thought that many months ago, though, we were in a condition when the economy and specifically the service sector, the reopening type stocks, they were continuing to grow in terms of both revenue and profitability. The overall S&P 500 and corporate profits in general earlier this year were showing a great deal of resilience, and that's what my enthusiasm had been predicated on. I also held the assumption that the Federal Reserve, although they were raising rates, that their terminal target rate, that's the rate that they raise the Fed funds rate up to, to put enough pain on the economy to create unemployment, which would slow down the upward spiral that we've seen in wage inflation. And I wasn't worried about any of that because I thought their terminal rate would get up around 3.5, 3.75, somewhere in that range, certainly under 4%. And that would be enough to create the unemployment that they wanted, that wages at least start to stabilize, they don't go up anymore. And I think if they did that, it would be very likely that we could have a soft landing. But since about October, we've seen that that terminal rate is much more likely to be at or above 5% than it is to be at 4 In fact, we're already at 4 And at the same time, the Federal Reserve seems hell-bent on raising rates. We're getting a severe amount of deterioration in the economy. Now, a lot of this hope and enthusiasm and the rally that we've seen over these previous four or five weeks has come from the fact that we are getting deteriorating economic conditions. And in that case, bad news is good news because investors believe that the Federal Reserve will pivot and will go easier on raising interest rates. And that, of course, would stabilize things. In recent months, I haven't had that enthusiasm because I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to back off. As I stated many, many months ago, the Federal Reserve can raise interest rates, and that can create unemployment, and through that unemployment, you get a certain amount of demand destruction. But the major factors that are causing inflation right now are things like energy and food and other supply chain disruptions. These are all supply-side issues, none of which the Federal Reserve can address by raising interest rates. So the Federal Reserve can raise rates all they want. It doesn't produce any more oil, nor does it grow any more food. And you combine that with the poor government policies that we see not only in the United States, but across the globe. And those policies are not favorable to the supply side of the economy. Look at what's happening in England. The UK is in a confirmed recession. And in all likelihood, everybody thinks that their recession is going to get worse. And the government policies that are going into this are that the Bank of England is raising interest rates and the government of the UK is raising taxes on individuals, on corporations, and also putting windfall profit taxes on oil producing companies. They're doing all this at the same time that they subsidize energy costs to the citizens. 
And so this is a classic example of the government penalizing the producers and incentivizing the less productive. It's been my experience that that is a losing strategy. How about I digress? Right now, when I look at the deteriorating economic conditions in the United States and globally, I don't see that as bad news equaling good news. I see that as evidence that we are in economic decline. And again, that's not what we had four, five, or six, or eight months ago. The consumer's spending less, and to the degree they are spending, it's going on credit cards as opposed to coming out of cash savings, because those cash savings that were built up during the pandemic are now dwindling. And likewise, when we look at corporate profits, the corporations are getting hit on multiple fronts, whether it be currency fluctuations from the multinationals, or the higher costs that corporations have to pay to finance their own debt, or their shrinking profit margins as they no longer can pass all the inflationary pressures onto consumers, or the fact that the consumers can no longer pay the higher prices with the elevated interest rates that they're paying. I think I'm digressing here again. Hold on, let me backtrack. Bottom line here, we're closing out the year and going into next year with truly deteriorating economic conditions and deterioration of corporate profits as well as looking forward to corporate profits being estimated too high. So we not only have declining corporate profits, but we have an overestimation of where corporate profits are likely to be next year. So that gives you a double whammy because at the same time we see corporations announcing that they're making less money last quarter, they're also going to be telling you they're going to make even less money next quarter. That panic hasn't set into the market yet, and if it does, I believe that's when we'll see the capitulation, and that's when we'll see the VIX spike up well above 30 or more. Did I ever mention the event last week that concerned me? I don't think I did. The S&P 500 failed at its 200-day moving average, and that was the third failure of the year. That failure at a declining 200-day moving average is usually an ominous sign that things are going to get worse. And if you look at the two previous times this year, that occurred in August and in April. And after both of those failures at the 200-day moving average, you saw a sell-off that took the market down, I think, in excess of 17% both times. Now, I don't know that that's going to happen again, but I do think that it's highly likely, and that's because this recent enthusiasm isn't supported in fact. And on top of that, I think we're going to see more disappointment on the international stage as Putin continues to have his back pushed up against a wall and that things could get a lot worse in Ukraine than they have been. And the other global conditions are really in no better condition. I think China is still suffering some major setbacks. We have seen Chinese stocks in the past couple weeks really skyrocket. And that was really based on some rumors coming out of China that they would ease up on their COVID policy, their zero COVID policy. We saw President Xi at the G20 meeting. He wasn't wearing a mask. He was jovial and friendly. And that's really promoted a lot of this investor enthusiasm to jump back into China and China-related reopening stocks. Call me a skeptic on all that, but I don't think that we're going to see any significant reopening of the Chinese economy until later in the spring, because now we're entering into the winter months, obviously, 
And if China was locking down because of their concerns about COVID over the summer months, well, it would just seem to be rational that there's going to be more incidents of COVID and the spreading of COVID during the winter months. And if they shut down in the summer, why wouldn't they shut down even harder as we go into the depths of the winter months? So for now, I wouldn't be betting on a reopening of the Chinese economy until maybe March or April of next year. Uh, But I'm starting to digress again, and I've gone longer than I wanted to in today's episode. Hey, listen, I appreciate everybody being there. We're coming up on the Thanksgiving holiday. I want to wish all of you the very best times you can be having with your friends and family to celebrate and count the blessings that you've been given. I will certainly be doing that with my family because I can assure you I am most richly blessed, and I'm thankful for that every day. And I'll be celebrating it and most appreciative of it later this week, in which case I'll probably be taking some time off as well, and hopefully I can put a couple more short episodes out. Well, hey, until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.